Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Kate Wolf in San Francisco. Details are still unfolding around the tragic shooting in Uvalde, Texas yesterday, but we do know that 21 people, including 19 children, were murdered at an elementary school. This morning, we are thinking about how students, especially young students, are processing all this. So the California Report's Mary Franklin Harvin asked an expert how caregivers of young people can support them right now as we try to cope with yet another senseless shooting. Dr. Stephen Brock is a professor and school psychology program coordinator at Cal State Sacramento. His work focuses on helping schools support students when there's a school-associated traumatic event. In his eyes, one of the most helpful things parents and caregivers can do is remind kids that, despite what it may seem like, these events are still rare, and schools are actually safer than they used to be. And I know this rings horribly hollow in moments like this. Schools are safe places. And with the exception of more frequent incidents of these mass shootings, all other indicators of school crime and violence are going in the right direction. In other words, schools are objectively safer now than they were in years past. Brock says it's important to limit young children's exposure to these traumatic events where possible and to address questions from kids in a way that's developmentally appropriate for their age. He also emphasized how much a child's background can influence their experience of this kind of trauma and the way they might respond to efforts to prevent it like putting police in schools. I factor in racism. I factor in poverty. But for many kids that I work with, a police presence on campus is going to reaffirm perceptions of safety and security. But I've come to appreciate that for some kids, a police presence may do the exact opposite. And for kids here in California especially, it's not just violence they're coping with, but also climate disasters like wildfires. For the California Report, I'm Mary Franklin Harvin. California's Water Board voted yesterday to roll out statewide mandatory water restrictions in the face of an ongoing drought. Last year, Governor Gavin Newsom urged residents to voluntarily cut their water use by 15 percent. But by March, usage was actually up 
by 19 percent. The new regulations ban irrigating turf at commercial, industrial, and institutional properties and require urban water suppliers to limit homes to just two days a week of yard watering, something about half had still not done. Violators can now be charged up to $500. Preschool students are expelled and suspended at rates three times higher than kids in K-12 schools. It's a problem California lawmakers are trying to address with a new bill, a bill that would ban the practice, which disproportionately impacts black children. Yet, as Deepa Fernandez reports, some early educators are already addressing the issue inside the classroom. Matthew is a bubbly and sweet kid. Say peace. Peace. But there are times when Matthew, like most preschoolers, is hard to deal with, says his mum, Denise Wilson of Compton. He doesn't have any boundaries. He's very kind of in your face. Matthew was constantly getting into trouble at preschool. All the teachers really were having a lot of issues with uh, Matthew's behavior. And they didn't want me to bring him at a certain time during nap time because he'll disturb the classroom. And then this happened. Hey, Deepa, this is Denise. Matthew had an incident and he threw a chair and he was suspended from school. Suspension or expulsion from preschool happens way more to black children than others. Federal civil rights data shows that pre-pandemic, black three- and four-year-olds made up just 18% of all public preschoolers, yet they were almost half of all those suspended. Behaviour's communication. Suspending preschoolers with behavioural issues or punishing them is not the solution, says Dr Marie Connie Paulson, chief psychologist at Children's Hospital Los Angeles. What his communication is saying is, for some reason, he can't cope with the expectations, and he needs help. Dr. Paulson believes that many early educators simply don't have the training to know how to deal with challenging behaviours. It needs to be part of the pre-service training of teachers. Training preschool teachers to work with children with challenges is the mission of Linda Brault, a child behaviour expert with WestEd, an education equity organisation. And their difficulty with behavior is just as similar as, I don't know how to read. We wouldn't say, sit in the corner with those books until you know how to read. But we do that to kids. You sit in the corner until you know how to play with kids. And that's not logical. Teachers want to help, Brault says. They've just never been taught about the challenges some kids face and why punitive measures won't work. It's not magic in the moment. It's all the things you've done ahead of time. It's the relationships you've built. So that when you see a child that is escalating and is going to have an explosion of strong emotions, you have strategies that you've taught him or the other children. Do you see yours in It's exactly the philosophy used at a preschool housed on the campus of Grossmont College in San Diego, where most of the children come from low-income families. When he was yelling at me. You were mad at who when they were yelling at you? This preschool has worked hard in its two decades to make sure every child is met where they're at, Meheran says. She points out one little boy who her staff identified early as having challenging behaviour and seems a little unaware of his body bumping into other kids. As I stand there with the kids, he suddenly reaches out and hits the little girl next to him. Ow! Yeah! Be gentle with me. Did you catch the teacher's response? She said, tell him, be gentle with me. And the little girl repeats that to the boy, and she wanders off, apparently mollified. 
If you discipline a child while their brain is not able to think and process, you're not helping the child learn how to self-calm. In this moment, punishment can make a child angrier, she says. The teachers have a calming kit or a solution kit, and there's some fidgeting toys and things like that in there just to kind of help them re-engage with their thinking brain. The bill to ban suspensions only applies to publicly funded preschools. Mehran hopes that all preschools will replace harsh discipline with strategies that help children learn to deal with their big feelings. For The California Report, I'm Deepa Fernandez. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of The California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. An investigation by KPCC in Los Angeles has found that the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation has moved people known as medical parolees to an institution that the federal government has stripped of its certification. That's after the facility consistently violated standards of patient care. The medical parole program is for people who are immobile, people who are paraplegic, quadriplegic, or have suffered from strokes. KPCC's Aaron Mendelson reports. In 2021, government regulators visited Golden Legacy Care Center in the San Fernando Valley. They found a patient cuffed to a bed by his right ankle, even though he couldn't move on his own. The inspector said the restraints caused the man's bed sores. The ulcers were so bad, he had to be hospitalized. The man was incarcerated, not on medical parole, but several other people there were, and regulators found their rights as patients were also being violated. Residents weren't able to move around freely. They weren't allowed phones or visitors of their choice. That doesn't sound like you're creating a skilled nursing facility there. It sounds like you're just trying to create a prison by another name. Dan Mistak is with the nonprofit Community-Oriented Correctional Health Services. The violations led to the nursing home losing its federal certification. And our investigation shows, after its certification was pulled, it got a state contract and now houses nearly every medical parolee. The facility can no longer receive Medicare funding, but also it no longer has to follow federal rules about patient rights. Yeah, it's dismaying. Tony Chikatel is an attorney with the California Advocates for Nursing Home Reform. I don't think that the population you've described has a lot of advocates arguing that this is not the right place for them. Many people in the program have been convicted of violent crimes, including rape and murder. The state says it needs to impose restrictions to ensure public safety. Harry McBride is one of the patients at Golden Legacy. He's 76 and has been incarcerated since 2012. He says he's had six heart attacks. He's paralyzed from the waist down, and he's blind. In 2020, he requested to be released from prison. Since I can't see and I can't move, 
I asked the doctor if there's any way I can get on medical parole. McBride's been at Golden Legacy for about three months, and he's worried. When I hit the call light, it take hours for somebody to show up. And I keep telling them, I had another heart attack. If I have to wait five hours for somebody stick their head in to find out what's wrong, I said, I'll be dead before you realize it. We talked to nine medical parole patients at Golden Legacy Care Center. Most were concerned about the care they were getting. There's no barber. There's no dental. There's no podiatrist. There's just a lot of don't have here. Just more like an annex to the prison system. One morning, I woke up at like 5 a.m. and I was in extreme pain. And I asked them to send me to the hospital. And they refused to send me to the hospital. To me, they're understaffed. That's Leroy Freeman, Danny Cohia, Jonas Peacock, and Harry McBride. The facility currently has a waiver to staff below the state's minimum standards. Golden Legacy did not return requests for an interview or answer any of our questions by phone or email. They didn't make anyone available when we showed up in person. Corrections Department spokesperson Vicki Waters said in a statement, the agency is committed to the health and well-being of patients. She said, quote, These are people in our custody and charge, and it is our responsibility to balance providing needed health care to them while also ensuring public safety. Leah Dowd says the state's restrictions are extreme. She's with Uncommon Law, an organization that provides legal help for people navigating parole. These are people with serious medical conditions, so they don't pose a public safety risk. She says California has let them down. These are incarcerated people who are really caught in the crossfire between the state and the federal rules, and that's through no fault of their own. The corrections department says it had to move people to Golden Legacy or send them back to prison. The changes to the program have left medical parolees isolated and far from family. One medical parole patient with a terminal illness told us his family is all he has, and they haven't been able to visit. For The California Report, I'm Aaron Mendelson. This story was co-reported with KPCC's LEU. Tomorrow, she'll bring you part two of the investigation about the secrecy around the decision to move parolees to Golden Legacy. And that's the California Report for Wednesday, May 25th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Kate Wolf. Thanks for listening. Support for the California Report comes from the Wesley Foundation, investing in California's underserved youth. The California Healthcare Foundation, working to build a more effective, compassionate, and just healthcare system. On the web at chcf.org health equity. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food on the web at theschmidt.org. Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.